0: During a recent student government meeting, student activists called for a boycott of the campus newspaper, Washington Square News. NYU Local, the independent campus blog, posted the story last week, quoting activist leaders about the announcement. Rundown reporter Sarah Pat sat down with the NYU Local reporters who broke the story to discuss why activists have expressed concern with WSN's coverage. For the Rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM, I'm Sarah Pat, in collaboration with NYU Local. Recently, student activists have expressed concern with coverage by Washington Square News, the NYU-sponsored student newspaper. NYU Local, the independent campus blog, broke a story last week about a public announcement by multiple activists expressing discontent with the university and its official paper. The announcement was made at a student government meeting and called for student activists to boycott Washington Square News until changes are made. I'm here with the two reporters who broke the story for NYU Local, Justin Pilgrim, and Sarah Merck. Thank you, Sarah and Justin, for uh, coming on the show today. Thank you for having us.
1: It's great to be here.
0: First of all, I want to acknowledge really quick that we are representatives from the two other major student journalist organizations on campus, NYU Local and The Rundown. We are not trying to report this as an attack on Washington Square News, but rather because it is something that is relevant to the student body at the moment. Sarah and Justin... How did you first come upon the story?
2: Um, I saw a big thread from one of the IEC organizers just by scrolling through the local Twitter.
1: The Twitter thread was mostly about coverage by Washington Square News of activist activities on campus. Um, One of the specifics was their, their coverage of the IEC occupation of Kimmel last semester. Um, and how they felt that the goals of IEC were misconstrued in the coverage that Washington Square News put out, and they were misrepresented.
2: The thread and also response by other activists from, like, JVP and SJP specifically point to sort of, like, a larger trend of, like, what, how the university responds to those groups. Um, and I think the coverage and the actions of the university sort of go hand in hand.
0: So just for the record, IEC is the Incarceration to Education Coalition, which is a group of NYU community members working to end discrimination against formerly incarcerated college applicants. SJP is Students for Justice in Palestine, which is a Palestinian advocacy group. And in association with this group is Jewish Voices for Peace, or JVP. What are some of the particular issues that activists have raised in regards to their coverage by Washington Square News?
2: The thread specifically, kind of as Justin said, cites examples of coverage and actions by the university from specifically IUC's occupation of Kimmel last December, in addition to coverage about NYU Dream Team, which um, has a lot to do with DACA recipients and just sort of the language Whether the language that has, like, continued through that coverage or, like, corrections that have been issued that have been sort of counter to what the initial content of the article was or misrepresenting quotes by activists in the paper itself. That coverage and that representation of their work kind of goes hand-in-hand with the ways the university has sort of actively uh, tried to harm or even threaten um, activists. Like, I remember in the coverage of IEC last december and their occupation of kimmel um nyu administrators threatened to take away housing and they threatened to call parents and uh use just like a number of intimidation tactics in order to try and kick this group out when they were holding a peaceful non-violent protest which they are well within their right to do
0: washington square news has recently responded to the call for boycott stating that they would like to give a voice to students and the university alike However, it seems as though talking to a lot of these student activist leaders, students that are in direct opposition to what the university is doing, do not feel comfortable with the way that their voices are being represented.
2: I think ultimately, it's an issue of both sidesism because when your coverage tries to like, equally represent the role of a massive, well-funded uh, private institution and compare it to like, a number of primarily activists, student activists of color it's equating to groups that come from very different positions and NYU by being a private, very well-funded institution uh, automatically comes into that with a lot more power and reach and doesn't need to be represented as an equal. You don't need to give equal weight to
1: what they say. I think another reason why this was an important thing to report on when we did it uh, is because there was so much that happened last semester with, um, activist activities on campus and stuff like that, and it was just a very packed semester. This is something that's been simmering for a little while and it finally came to a head in the form of this Twitter thread, as well as the announcement at the SGA meeting of a boycott of WSN that is currently going on with a number of student activists.
0: Thank you, Sarah and Justin. If you would like to read the full story, go to nyulocal.com. The article is titled Student Activists Criticize Coverage by University Newspaper. For the rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM, I'm Sarah Pat, in collaboration with NYU Local.
2: I'm Sarah Merg.
1: And I'm Justin Pilgreen.
0: NYU's Senior Vice President of University Affairs and Public Relations released a letter last month in response to Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos regarding a proposal to alter Title IX proceedings on college campuses. Here's reporter Kate Hines.
3: For the Rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM, I'm Kate Hines. On November 16th of 2018, the U.S. Department of Education released a proposal to make alterations to the process that U.S. universities must follow in regards to sexual misconduct allegations. The current system of proceedings for sexual misconduct falls under the Title IX, the federal civil rights law that prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex in education programs or activities that receive federal funding. The Secretary of the Department of Education, Betsy DeVos, proposed these new changes as she stated, Throughout this process, my focus was, is, and always will be on ensuring that every student can learn in a safe and nurturing environment. That starts with having clear policies and fair processes that every student can rely on. Every survivor of sexual violence must be taken seriously, and every student accused of sexual misconduct must know that guilt is not predetermined. Now, these changes were brought on with good intentions, but the proposal is actually attempting to give more benefit of the doubt to those accused. The proposed alterations to the processes under Title IX would require due process protections, including a presumption of innocence throughout the grievance process with the burden of proof on the school, live hearings, a prohibition of the single investigator model, instead requiring a decision maker separate from the Title IX coordinator or investigator. Clear, convincing evidence or preponderance of the evidence standard subject to limitations, the opportunity to test the credibility of parties and witnesses through cross-examination subject to rape shield protections, written notice of allegation and equal opportunity to review evidence, Title IX coordinators, investigators, and decision makers free from bias or conflict of interest and equal opportunities for all parties to appeal. On January 30th, Senior Vice President of University Relations and Public Affairs at NYU, Lynn Brown, wrote a letter to Secretary DeVos in response to this proposal. Higher education groups such as the American Council on Education and the Association of American Universities have already released responses similar to NYU's. Brown urged the Department of Education to reconsider, stating, We believe policies, practices, and systems we have established over the years work well, and data from the most recent assessment of NYU's campus climate reaffirm that over 90% of our students believe that the university takes sexual misconduct complaints seriously and handles sexual misconduct cases fairly. In a statement released to WNYU, Brown stated, We believe NYU currently has a highly effective, confidential process in place for encouraging prompt reporting and subsequent fair investigation of Title IX complaints, and found the Department of Education's proposal to limit the definition of sexual harassment on college campuses concerning. On the federal level, the process of NPRM, or Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, requires agencies to make proposed rule changes public and then solicit feedback. In sending our letter, we were adding our voice to more than 100,000 comments and letters received by the Department of Education in response to this proposal. Ultimately, we believe this new policy is a solution looking for a problem and could damage a system that is currently working fairly and effectively. Secretary DeVos made no other statement regarding the proposal, but hopefully the responses from universities like ours and other higher education groups can resonate, with those at the Department of Education. For The Rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM, I'm Kate Hines.
0: The indie music scene in and around New York City can be a fickle place to launch a career. But this Long Island singer has been making it work since childhood. Here's reporter Aria Tusi.
4: I think they're gonna drown me If life is one big picture show Then I will not be cameo, tell me now, will you count me in?
5: Alternative singer-songwriter Peter McDermott tends to write autobiographically about his current place in life. However, he wasn't always a bona fide Brooklyn artist trying to make ends meet while pursuing his passion. So I grew up in
4: a small town called East Islip, Long Island. I was the fourth of four kids.
5: Peter's interest in music started when he was very young.
4: One of my first memories actually was seeing my sister Grace in a play and that was like the first time like really getting integrated with music as like a performance art.
5: When Pete was seven, his older brother Matt started a band with two other neighborhood kids. Young Peter idolized his brother and wanted to join in on the action. That's when he had the idea of becoming a drummer.
4: I always was trying to force my way into my brother's life. So I figured if I had like brought something to the table and be like, hey, I can play drums for you guys, so I'm not going to just
5: be like your annoying little brother. Uh, then they would have to hang out with me. Matt offered him a deal. If Pete could play the drums better than he could, he would be accepted into the band.
4: So that's kind of what I did. I started picking up drums and learning small things as I could. So, like, my brother taught me, like, just how to tap. And just how to keep time initially. And then it worked to, okay, this is what a bass drum sounds like. This is how you tune your drums. This is how you get, like, somewhat of a basic rhythm out. The deal worked out. I picked a Zeppelin song that I just practiced and, practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced, and I did it for him one day. And he goes, "I don't think you can do it better than me," but he said you can do it equal to me. And he's like, "That's okay enough."
5: From there, Peter's experience only grew. When he was 13, he and Matt's band, now called Vitality, pre-sold enough tickets to their family and friends to secure a show at a bar in New York City. Overall, I think we like we came off that stage being like
4: we killed it, like. On, on the glory, and, uh, and it was, to be honest, probably like,
5: not horrible, definitely was not great. <laughs> By 15, Pete was booking shows all over Long Island and New York for Vitality. He even managed and promoted other local bands. He had learned enough to negotiate like a pro with promoters and venue owners. He even hid his age so that he could get his foot in the door with people who wouldn't have taken him seriously otherwise. Here's one example from a Vitality show at a bar on Long Island, where the bouncer wasn't letting Pete into the venue. The other
4: band members are all at least 18 or older, so they can at least be in the bar. I was 15,
5: and they're not even letting me in. Finally, when he recited the name and phone number of the bar owner, this bouncer gets the owner and brings him outside.
4: So you're Pete? And I go, yeah. And he goes, just like stunned for a
5: second, like he doesn't know what to say. And I'm standing there, I'm like, yeah, I'm Pete. Pete got in and played his set. But when he was leaving, he saw the venue owner again, and something happened that changed his music career. I'm like walking down and the guy simply like
4: looks at me and like nods and smiles. I'm like, this is why I'm doing it. Because this guy was just arguing and like almost yelling at me like I was his child outside. And this guy's giving me a nod being like, oh, the kid can play. So I was like, this is the type of business I want to be in.
5: Around the same time, Vitality dropped their first EP. Even though Pete wasn't their songwriter, he still pitched a song to Matt called Lake House Drive. Matt liked it, and it made the EP. After this release, the band broke up. People went to college, got jobs. Matt ended up joining the National Guard. Pete went to study business administration at Mercy College. He graduated a year early because he had struck another deal, this time with his parents. He'd had enough money, saved from high school, to live on his own to pursue his music. Unfortunately, this plan was cut short. The young, happy, carefree Peter reflected in Lake House Drive would never be the same after May 1st, 2017 when Pete's older sister, Grace, died in a house fire. Peter agreed to meet me in the WNYU production studio. It's a dimly lit, soundproof room covered wall-to-wall with audio equipment. It can be intimidating, but Peter seems right at home here. It's not surprising for someone who's been involved with production and recording since adolescence. In here, he talks about Grace for almost 30 minutes.
4: I spent basically that summer after she had passed just not being home running away from the situation, like, I don't want to deal with this if I don't, if I don't see this, I
5: don't think about it, it's not there. Before this, he was comfortable and even jolly. But now, as he reminisces about his sister, Peter sits with one leg over the other, supporting his arms with the guitar still in his lap, his hands dangling over its edge. Instead of looking at me, he's staring past the mic at the soundproof wall. After Grace's death, Pete had a lot of difficulty dealing with the grief. His first major rift with Matt arose from differences in handling her passing. You know, it's funny like how the
4: worst moments of your life cause some of the best moments of your life. Uh, so I wrote one of, one of the songs that I, I think has become like definitely my most requested song and definitely the, the song that's gotten me the most attention.
5: Normally, Pete's a happy guy with a positive outlook. Keeping with that approach, he wrote Life of the Party. The idea came to him after Grace's funeral, when he and a relative had a little too much at the hotel bar. I had written the chorus
4: of it on the way back from Ireland after attending my sister's funeral. And like, if you listen to the song, it's just about me partying and Pete thought how ironic
5: old, it must have been that an onlooker would have assumed that these were just some American tourists having fun on vacation, when in reality, they were trying to dull the pain of one of the worst days of their lives. That was over a year ago. These days, Pete is putting his degree to use. He works at a firm that markets drugs to doctors, It pays the bills, but his focus is still on music. He's already booked a studio session in April for his upcoming album. For the rundown on WNYU on 89.1 FM New York, this has been Aria Tucci.